Welcome to Urban Homestead Radio, preserving a homegrown way of life and inspiring others to bring the revolution home. Thanks to the support of our sponsor, Lehman's. For over 60 years, they've provided practical, non-electrical tools, appliances, and home goods. When technology fails, the products will certainly work. Check out their website at lehmans.com. That's L-E-H-M-A-N-S.com. Hi, homesteaders. Happy fall. Um, We're sorry it's been a few months since our last podcast, but we're back and hope to get you up to date with all the homestead happenings, especially what's been growing on in the garden. And I have here with me Justin, who will give us, uh, I guess, the state of the garden report. (laughs) Um, Hello. uh, Hey, so yeah, it's been about maybe two and a half months since, or maybe more, uh, since we last talked about the garden and, and... how, what's been growing on? So how far back are we going? Um, well, let's, yeah, let me just talk about, um, I'm going to ask you a question. So I think it was about, we were just getting into summer. So how was the summer growing season? Surprisingly, we had a pretty good tomato harvest. Uh, the artisan tomatoes, uh, back-to-back years, a pretty decent harvest, 20, 30 pints a week. Um, they were growing pretty well. And then we had a heat wave that got 99 degrees uh, and the spider mites came in and finished them off but overall I'm happy with how the tomatoes turned out it wasn't perfect but they lasted a pretty long time and then a we planted a late summer batch of pole beans and they did pretty well but the late batch of cucumbers didn't do so great um, so speaking of the weather I think it was I mean for what I what I felt and what I've been you know, hearing from other people, it was pretty mild summer. We got, a, a, you know, a couple of days of the heat wave, but it was all in yeah, all pretty mild. Yeah, the year before where it was like 120 degrees mm-hmm. and fried everything. Yeah. Pretty relatively mild. It still went hot, But that was cold, the summer. Hot, We're not talking about the fall, so we'll get to the fall. The fall was, was pretty, pretty hot. Yeah. Um, so the, the summer was pretty mild. Um, we rarely even had to turn on the fan. It was It was pretty nice. Um, what what other successes that you had in the summer that um, that you know besides the artisan tomatoes that did well? I was able to grow kale in the shade of the tomatoes. They lasted pretty well all summer. Wasn't which is unusual. Which is unusual because and of bagrata. the bagrata bugs. If people are familiar, who have been following us and are, I guess, growing challenges the bagrata bug, which is a invasive species that came into probably. Uh, in SoCal, what, in 2000 and... Ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, 2008 or so. Um, they've wrecked habit with the brassicas, and so that um, we haven't been able to sometimes grow like kales and arugulas and some even, um, what else, mustards through the summer months because the, the bagrata bugs, which we call vampire bugs, would suck the juice out of these things. So this is the first time you actually, in a, in a couple of years, that you actually had to grow kale. Is that true? It lasted through the summer yeah. without much damage. The, ironically, the first batch of arugula and mustard after taking out the kale um, because of the late heat wave, they were decimated by regrata bugs. So I had to give it to the chickens and start another batch. So which was quite ironic that I was able to get the kale through the summer but in September, in October, I wasn't able to. Uh, I wasn't able to uh, get the first batch of salad in. So 
uh, salad mix in, which was, I lost the first uh, harvest. Yeah. So um, what were um, some of the challenges that this case, so we're talking about the summer. So there were definitely some challenges. It was mild, and then we had a late fall heat wave. So some of the things that you planted later um, were affected. Um, so I guess what were the challenges this growing season? Well, I was on the lookout for the spider mites, and I knew they were coming, so I did a, a some minor preventative spraying with some neem oil. But when the heat fall heat wave came in, it was like 99 for two days. I just turned it into Halloween uh, haunted uh, uh, tomatoes overnight. So I was just shut it off like a tap. It didn't go like from 20 pints to 10 pints. It basically went from 20, 30 pints to zero. Um, but I was happy with how it turned out. It got a little, a little crazy at the end. Yeah. So speaking of crazy, so that late fall heat wave, uh, pre I guess Halloween. Uh, so that was I would remember it was like the week before Halloween. It was uh, almost ninety uh, or mid nineties, almost hundred in some spots. Then two to three well maybe four days later it was a little cooler but then on the the wednesday the night before halloween um it was a cool or colder evening well, it was um, the thing that ironically and then I, what happened ironically i sent you all a text that forecast calls for 42 degrees um, on wednesday wednesday night. i had sent that like 10 days before the half a week or 10 days before you know on the long range forecast and I sent it to you all, and I said, it can't be that cold, right? Because I knew our microclimate in the Because our first frosts are basically around when normally? Late December, mm-hmm. early January. That's our, usually our first ones. And when I saw it in the 10-day forecast, and I said, it can't be because it's October. And it was 99 degrees, like three days before. And all these fires burning and all this stuff. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. But I saw it and i just dismissed it and then the next day i woke up thursday morning and we have cold pockets microclimates in everybody's backyard everybody has a different one but we're like 10 degrees colder than they forecast for the city of pasadena and the wind stopped and it was like a perfect storm or imperfect storm if you want to say and i lost about two weeks of salad mix and about two thousand dollars worth of damage um, so I had the volunteers came in and helped me clean it up and I was uh, bought some starts and um, Grew a bunch bought a bunch more seeds so I can start the salad. Mix so growing. yeah, how did the so that was like our very the as I as I can remember and I asked some people who are you know been here longer than we have um, Was this unusual for a first frost on Halloween and they said it was so that well, was, it was two months early. Yeah, and, was, I, and yeah. I had all the wires and I had all the plastic and I have all the covers and all I had to do was put it out and save me a bunch of work but because it was two months early I didn't want to unfold all the plastic and then store it right right now it's stored on the um, because it's so hot now so yeah. it's 50 degrees at night and so, so I we're take back it to off. warm again yes yeah, so. so now it was like for one day but all I had to do is I had everything sitting there and I just had to put it out and save me a bunch of uh, time, but you know, I think so ever, you, mm-hmm. ever, it's been that cold that early. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so when you said the volunteers help with the the frost bit or frost bitten uh, greens, what did, how did they help you salvage? You know, the ones that got went to mush. Well, they cut it. They trimmed off most, not all. Most of the lettuce was saved, 
salvageables, um, cutting off all the freezer burn and giving it to the chickens. And then even the kale, which was surprising, got hit um, and had freezer burn on it. And some, it's still edible, but just not sellable. So they were able to clean it up. And this past weekend, I was able to hit them with a little bit of fertilizer, give them a boost, water everything. And so now we're, hopefully we're back in business. But I was so proud of that. I think it was the moral of the story was I was so proud of the lettuce. I was showing it off to everybody. We just had a group of volunteers the Sunday before and they were picked like three huge bowls of salad. Everybody had a blast and was, uh, everybody liked all the colors, shapes and sizes. And I was just got a little, maybe a little cocky, a little arrogant, but so I got cut down to size, but. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, I think gardening does that a lot. So is, um, yeah, we'll talk more about the volunteer program and, and, and that's how it's been uh, helpful here around the homestead. Um, so now that it's fall, so we are in the second second week or third week in, in November. Where are we? I can't remember. It's the second. End. It's almost Thanksgiving. Yeah, I know. It's almost Thanksgiving. Um, so now that we had that setback with the, the frost, and now we're back to, quote, normal temperatures, back to warm, and fires are still going, unfortunately. Um, what are you planting now? So what's coming, you know, what are you, you said you bought, you know, you're planting a lot of soil blocks. What are, what are you planting well, I have uh, the salad mix, so you get three or four pickings before you have to turn it over. So it's always staggered. Cilantro's always popular. So I have a couple hundred blocks of uh, cilantro, a couple hundred blocks of lettuce, um, and just staggering it to make mm -hmm. sure I have a constant uh, flow of lettuce and greens. What happens is that the the lettuce gets a little, goes to seed, or the greens get a little woody, and so I just turn it, give it, turn it over, and start over. Yeah. So what do you, um, for people who are planting like fall gardens, what is like? Um, well, in California. California, we're, we're we're still, like I think you told at the tour the other day was um, on on Sunday was uh, peas for us are being planted now. Right? Yeah, for Southern California, now? it's too hot to grow peas in the spring and summer. So we're taking out all the pepper tubs and all the um, earth boxes and stuff like that and putting in peas. So peas, you sell the pea shoots, they uh, fix nitrogen, and they love the cooler weather. They will get hit by a freeze here or there, but uh, they do pretty well against the house in the black tubs with the oyas in it. So. Yeah, so speaking of, um, you know, the, like some of the tips and tricks, uh, you said, you mentioned you fertilized the other day. What are, how are you, um, what are ways that you're trying to keep the soil healthy after the intensive planting um, that goes on here? We have like succession and intensive plantings um, in the raised bed. So what's some of your, um, I don't know if there's any fall preparations that you, you do to the soil or um, you just constantly do. Uh, you know, soil uh, regeneration, how do you, you know, like what are some of the like practices you do? Well, the peas do? Are, don't use up much. The peas are like a cover crop. I use them for the pepper tubs and they fix nitrogen and they enrich the soil. So I really not too concerned about the fertilizing them. Um, the reason I did fertilize was because of the loss the two-week loss and the monetary loss and the loss of the crop 
was I gave everything a boost to get me back up to, instead of losing two weeks, maybe I've only lost one week. And so they bounced back pretty nicely. The weather's warmed up. It's back in the salad business. We can get 20, 30 pounds a week. Uh, we're picking up. The mix isn't quite there yet. There's maybe six or eight instead of the 12 or 15 varieties. But I got a bunch of new uh, greens coming in. So they should make, make a pretty good mix. Yeah, I saw a big uh, box of seeds uh, delivered to, to the house the other day. So um, what's... what's what do, peas, yeah, what kind of beans, and salad mix, and a bunch of herbs, and then we were talking about, I was getting a little head start on some of the toothache plant we were talking about, and some of the novelty Kids things. Kids love the like, toothache plant when they come for a tour. Um, a little bit back to the fertilizer, maybe, what was it, the fish fertilizer? What did you use for fertilizer? Yeah, usually I just get a five-gallon bucket, it's about $150, or $100, $150. And then I mix it in empty five-gallon buckets, and I give the greens or the garden beds a boost. Surprisingly, this year, haven't used much. That was like the first time I fished fertilized in a couple months. Some of it timed, some of it. The tomatoes don't need that much fertilizer. Um, some of it just scheduling, mm -hmm. but it's pretty pretty... Pretty low on the inputs. I did a bunch in the spring, and I didn't feel like I needed to put in a bunch in for mm -hmm. fall, but maybe coming up. Yeah. So with every year, as there's a challenges and different, you know, there's there's uh, successes and failures. What was um, this growing season? What was maybe some of your successes? Twenty nineteen or fall? Yeah, that? maybe this like summer summer the twenty nineteen. Uh, like that, the, the, I guess the peak growing season. What was some of your successes or positive surprises that surprised you? I think the back-to-back -back years of tomatoes surprised mm -hmm. me. Um, I went a little crazy and grew, you know, 99% per of them from seed, and I had maybe 400 plants, and I was surprised how well they produced with. I'm gonna say little care, but the as much care it was a crazy summer. So as little care as it gave them, I was disappointed in some of the basil. Um, they still had but, some of that mildew. I noticed. Yeah, it was just a weird. I started basil early, and I could just couldn't get it growing, and then then it had the black spot, and then had, I mean it had mildew, which turns to black, mm -hmm. and that was disappointing. That the beans I did pole beans this year. Surprisingly, did well, um, and then the late batch did surprisingly well. And I then was, you have the Jerusalem artichokes you harvested just the other day. Yeah, that was they, a big they, haul. I mean, what that almost was just half, one bed? Like, that was just one, one bed. bed. It was like a quarter of a trash can. Yeah, well, we grow those for the flowers too, and then mm -hmm. they have a couple of volunteers, plants growing, that sort of took over. But sometimes I just let things grow if they want to grow there, and they feel like. Um, the biggest surprise, I think, would be, if you've been following us on Instagram, would be the squash that took over the garden gate in the front yard, um, which was surprising because I'd like to say I planted that and take all the credit for it, but I did not. And it was in the compost soil from the chicken coop or the compost pile that had the trombocino seeds in it. So when I created some new raised beds in the front yard, 
I dumped some compost in there, and the squash volunteered on the north, north, <laughs> north side of the house in the corner. The uh, coldest, north, the coldest, the north, the shadiest, shadiest yeah. place that you would ever think to never grow squash. It volunteered and it started rambling and taking over. And I'm like, and we've been here 35 years. I would never ever expect uh, squash to grow in that corner as well as it did. Next year, I'll put a trellis up and I'll grow tr- uh, corn uh, squash there, and then I'll put let it grow. Mm-hmm. But that was su- very surprising that a volunteer like that is still growing. Mm-hmm. It's really, I guess, it's warm now with the. It's November and it's still growing. It's, it's still growing. It's still got flowers. Still got fruit, which is kind of weird. The bees were growing crazy over this and, morning. They were just in the blossoms loaded. One guy, I saw one one time the bee, I think I posted on Instagram, the bee was so loaded with pollen he could barely get out of the flower. It was hilarious. Yeah, so that one was, a, that was quite surprising because I would have never, never ever planted squash on the northeast corner of the property. I don't think it's ever grown there. And we have, and it's a shade, it's a microclimate, so we knew what there was, but I guess it found a perfect, either acclimated or found a perfect uh, spot and it took over that whole corner. Speaking of volunteer, that was a volunteer uh, squash plants. How has the volunteer program been working out with you? I mean, a lot of the volunteers uh, work with you. Um, We have, what, about eight volunteers and they come. um, We have a volunteer, almost one volunteer to almost sometimes three to four volunteers uh, Monday through Thursday. So how is that? How's that been? Um, I think we them? interviewed a couple of them earlier in the year, Sanjay mm-hmm. and Betsy, mm-hmm. and they were on the podcast. And then we had Christopher, Jonathan, um, new ones Brady. are Kim, Leah, Brady's. Uh, he's been interviewed too. Brady was a volunteer. Um, Chris. And we, yeah. And mm-hmm. we, so far it's worked. Um, it's obviously a Daniel. Daniel's mm-hmm. helped out. He mm-hmm. was. He started and he's like, oh, my community garden spot, it doesn't grow, it's not growing very well. And I said, so after a couple of weeks here, he showed me pictures of his plot and I said, oh, here's what you do. So I showed him how to do it and mm-hmm. what to, gave him a little rock dust and a little uh, encouragement. And then he went to his garden plot and he turned it over and he said, everything's growing. Mm-hmm. So remotely, I troubleshooted and was able to make his garden grow better but I think they the ironically the, the novice or the beginner volunteers are easy to work with because they don't have an ego and they're wanting to learn versus having all the answers so it's not for everybody there's a couple hit misses on uh, they're looking for a free tour or something like that but um, very very happy with how they turned out and a lot of them are apologetic. Oh, I wish I could volunteer more every day, but I have to work and pay my bills. And I said, you know, that's what's volunteers. We don't pay enough to stick around. So, but when a- they when they do stick around and they 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 work, we um, they definitely get um, paid in kind. With uh, we, I joke. I said, you know, you're volunteering, but we definitely will feed you. So they get food. Uh, food is our currency. They will not go hungry. So we have them go pick their greens or go shopping for with uh, yeah, you our know. newest one I think the, I mean not shopping but like go through the bins from France yeah. so she's on a, she's in town for a visa on uh, a visa program and so she's been volunteering a couple times a week two or three hours a time mm-hmm. Kim also does that too 
um, and they're able to help me with uh, especially in between seasons sometimes once everything's planted it's not too bad but we had the take down the we also had Sanjay brought in a bunch of 10 volunteers. Or yeah, so um, so let's talk about that. So Sanjay, and like I said, we said we interviewed him on our podcast. He's one of, uh, been volunteering here since probably uh, February, March. And he um, is part of the Sunrise uh, Global Initiative of uh, Climate Change, Youth uh, Against Climate yeah, Change. So he brought a bunch, I think it was 10. I and it, it happened. More. It was a little more than that, but it, I felt a little more that, but they had a, like a garden work party here. Well, they were spread out through the yard. Mm-hmm. So it came at the good time, a week before the cold snap. And, and then, I had to take down the last of the cucumbers, uh, the last of the basil, the last of the um, tomatoes. And they were able to the eggplant and then turn it over and plant the soil blocks, which is done previously by or another volunteer had planted them so they were able to that and then pick wash and spin their salad mix that they ate that night for the potluck yeah so So that was a i mean i can't do that every day but it was perfect timing perfect storm where we're able to have enough have everybody do something Mm -hmm. so so what were some of their um i know i was there but you worked with them i was busy with the potluck getting the food ready um what were some of the the comments or because, like I said, they're 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 active in the climate change, uh, you know, activities. They've been going to the rallies and, and things like that. So, um, what were some of their like thoughts or uh, you know, or sh- what did they gain or their, their well, experiences? Was, uh, we were what working, they... so we didn't really get to socialize till the end. Mm-hmm. And they're very appreciative of what they learned and what they could see could be done on a small area, and. A lot of them wanted to get their own property and start their own farm and I was like don't quit your day job mm-hmm. because it's a little bit harder than uh, it looks like they came in I'm it was three hours yeah two or three hours they did and they did soil blocks and picking packing turning over the beds planting a new batch so um, it worked out pretty well I think yeah. we'd like to do it again um, probably in between, se- probably when the change of season. Yeah. So speaking over, they did a a, a, a lot of. Uh, uh, there was a big, uh, drastic change in the front yard during that their the garden work party. So um, with the change of season, when we tell people when they come to our uh, monthly tours, the change of season also is a time to take stock in what you know the edible landscaping in the front yard, especially uh, see what's. What needs to be, you know, um, trimmed back? What needs to be cut down? What needs to be moved, or what needs to be actually even be taken out? So, um, unfortunately, what what had to be taken out just recently in the front yard? Yeah, we're always looking at ways to tweak things and try to maximize the return on the small space we have. So, at one point, I think we might have mentioned in the previous podcast we had taken out a pineapple guava that was in the north northeast corner of the yard and it was produced small fruit and it had a ton of small fruit but the root system was pretty aggressive and so we took that one out and put in some uh, raised beds and had strawberry guavas around there so that was pretty good and then there was this huge massive probably three it was like a multi-stem trunk it's been there about 10 15 years and it was huge and every year I'd cut it back because it'd get massive and dad would cut it back and then it would grow back like I never even touched it 
and unfortunately due to our growing or our sales um, there wasn't much return on the investment and it was on the radar for removal for the past couple of years um, like if we were able to take that one out we were able to clear up let's see Some three by 20 yeah. maybe 60 75 feet of gross sunlight because mm -hmm. pineapple guavas doesn't lose their leaves the fig trees lose their leaves and some of the um, yeah. and then the drizzle artichokes that we took out two that were in the corner the volunteers took out they die back but mm -hmm. the pineapple guava does not lose its leaves the root system is pretty aggressive so I was able to finally the volunteers helped dig it out but I was finally able to mm -hmm remove the stump today, no yesterday, and now it's a blank slate. So I'm hoping to put, instead of one pineapple guava, maybe put 10 or 12 different herbs, flowers, vegetables, and get maybe 10 to 12 harvest versus one harvest of mm -hmm. uh, pineapple guavas. Yeah, so with the challenges, and we tell people when they come to the tour, is the challenges of like edible landscaping is um, things grow uh, over time, you know, the, the yard has evolved over time from, you know, the, the, these trees are now 20 years old, so then the 20-year-old trees cast more of a shadow, then it robs some of your sun, and then it robs the sun, then it robs the herbs of, and the vegetables of the sun, so it's a challenging, it's worse, you know, if you just had a, if you had a ornamental... Well, when, I was young, when I was young, we used to grow peppers and tomatoes in that area in the mm -hmm. front yard, if yeah. you've been following the homegrown revolution, some of the videos show the nice small quaint pineapple guavas and mm -hmm. they grew so well and nothing absolutely nothing bothers it it's drought tolerant it's didn't need uh, any care mm -hmm. but for it was i don't know how you say that yeah it it had its purpose it had its time mm -hmm. i just thought it was time for a change to get more sunlight in the front yard yeah to so grow, yeah like uh, i said what basically with edible landscaping, it's evolving. Um, it's not like you have a yard and, and like a hedge and, and just like mobile and go. It's always um, sort of evolving, changing, and then it's, it gets redone almost every couple of years, like you said. So um, the, yard, the front yard definitely is going to go through uh, another change uh, this growing season, and we'll, we can't wait to see what it looks going to look like in spring. Um, we're coming to a little bit uh, winding down to the end of this podcast. Any final share? Sh you know, like to find share anything, stories or something uh, that I missed. Um, well, we still have our funny purple goosefoot stories where um, that thing's starting to be invasive species around here. Um, the volunteers help take it out, but what happens is all the seeds drop and they start taking over. Last year and this year, even with all the care, uh, control, and pulling out a lot of them, they were able to let them grow on the outskirts of the garden, and they didn't need much water or anything. But I wonder if I made a mistake and it's gonna come back to haunt me next uh, summer. Hopefully, well, we, we get some rain. Rain is on the forecast mm -hmm. for next week. We hope to get another wet, and rainy year. Um, the bees have done quite well. Um, that's probably another podcast that mm -hmm. we can talk about them. Uh, Sanjay has helped me tame my compost piles where we had piles and piles of yard waste, uh, green waste, quote, waste that we're able to make new compost piles. We did have, oh yeah, the other thing I'd like to talk about is the seminal pumpkin. I don't know if we talked about that. Um, I think the we brought it up the last podcast. So it ended up 
growing about 100, maybe 150 feet. It covered a wall, covered a fence about 50 feet long three times. So it's in the corner and the fruit is very good. Not, very little mildew on it, if any. So I'm quite happy with that. So the history of the Seminole pumpkin was, I think, is the Seminole Indians grew it. So it's a it's a pre-Columbus yeah. grown by the Native Americans, and I usually stick to the Trombocino squash, which you know we could do the green and the eat it green and then you eat it brown, and then it's a showstopper because everybody you have to walk through it. Um, but this one was a gamble, and I'm pretty happy how it turned out. So yeah, um, maybe the, not that corner next time because it got pretty aggressive. Mm-hmm. So for the Trombocino squash, I think we, um, I'm not sure if I, I probably posted on Instagram because I've been posting a lot of Instagram, but the Trombocino squash is a, another heirloom breed from Italy. And when, and we, I said, I think one of our favorite things to grow here at the homestead, because like Justin said, you can eat it when you, when it's green, you can eat it like a zucchini. It's uh, tastes, you know, much better than zucchini. And then when it gets older and aged, it turns of like a butternut squash color and you can use it like you can do butternut. for so, a year. Yeah. So. So that's for us is like, you know, we have one one plant, two crops, so that's perfect for, you know, the so small space. Back, oh, yeah, the no, geese. the geese. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but we have this, the every geese night. every night at this time. Uh, well, it's not that night. It's like dark at five, but uh, they fly over. It's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for tuning in. Um, thanks, Justin, for sharing what we'll get back into growing the, in the garden. We'll get and back into the routine of weekly, podcasts, yes. Weekly we just had a very, very, very busy summer. Uh, we'll go into details, but we had some, I guess, drama. not health issues, drama. but, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> trauma, foot, foot issues and <laughs> just everything was like, trauma, you know, drama. Yeah all sorts of craziness, but it's all good. Um, so if you'd like to get your hands dirty or learn uh, more uh, what's happening here at the homestead, we have upcoming tours, workshops, or you can fill our volunteer application. Um, please again, visit our website at urbanhomestead.org. We also have now a, um, we've grown from a 508 to a 501 um, nonprofit. So you can also donate. Yeah, so I um, think I'm going to, we're going to uh, switch spots and then you're going to interview me for about the nonprofit. So that'll be fun. So stay tuned for that. And um, again, happy fall to everybody and have a good one. We love to hear your feedback or questions. Visit us at urbanhomestead.org to check out what's happening on the homestead. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next time, keep on growing.